0: here. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, say the opening prayer for us. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for our many blessings this Sabbath day. We're grateful for the opportunity to study together as a group. Uh, we're grateful for this book and, and the author, and we're grateful for Isaiah, uh, the great prophet that he was, and the example that that he has penned for us to to study and, and pattern our uh, ascent and, and lives after we're so grateful for the plan of salvation for our redeemer jesus christ and uh, and his perfect plan uh, for us to minister and to uh, to grow spiritually we're so grateful for for knowledge and wisdom and and the opportunity to to grow in in these as a group this night we ask that thy spirit thy spirit may be with us as we Discuss and and grow together, that we may be edified and uh, and be able to apply these teachings in our lives as, as Thy Spirit directs. And we're so grateful, and we say these things in the name of Thy Son Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. All right. So, chapter nine, very interesting chapter. It ties everything all up neatly and nicely. Um, but yeah, as we uh, starting we were just kind of throwing back and forth kind of what some of our favorite chapters were um so a question just kind of retrospectively um when we started the book i posed the question um, what level of the ladder do you think you're on you know without having read the book um do you have an idea of where you're at and now that we've finished it do you now know where you uh Sit on the ladder currently. Do you know what's coming for you? On uh, coming for you, that sounded kind of creepy. Uh, do you know what's next in in your progress up the ladder? Um, does I, I hope that um, this is very insightful and uh, everything as we're we're all learning together. Uh, I for one thought for sure that um, I was on the the Jacob Israel uh, level of the ladder, uh, looking at kind of just the the summary. I was like, oh, obviously, that's where I'm at. And then reading into the the book, I was like, oh, oh, okay, because I I want to be translated. That's my my biggest goal in life, right? Uh, become part of the 144,000 and uh, help God at, at the end times with the city of Enoch. And then as I'm going through the book, realizing exactly where I lie and um, where what what current challenges I'm facing in life, I can see clearly where I'm at on the ladder and what my next step is and what the step is after that and and how to um, approach prayer in a much more meaningful and better way in order to get answers um, and, and get assignments, really, uh, to uh, turn it over to the Lord and say, I'm ready for this step because now I know what to ask for. Um, I found it very insightful, this whole book, trying to uh, reason that all out, and I can can honestly say that um, there's no turning back. I mean, this is, <laughs> I, I have a much deeper connection with the Lord because of this book, which I'm grateful. Now, not saying that I'm trying to, like, boost this up higher than, than it should be. It, it's a great framework, and I think all credit goes to, to Isaiah, although Avraham, I'm, I'm grateful that he wrote this commentary and uh, helped me get there. Um, but now i'm I'm super excited to be going into the actual words of Isaiah and and taking that framework and and reading what was actually written for us, kind of a thing. But anyway, uh, just kind of posing that question out for for everyone. Do you see where you're at on the ladder now? and and if so, uh, do you have a, a good clear roadmap of of what's next for you personally in your journey? And and if not, why not? No. And if not, how can can we all help each other um, uh, in in these journeys? Just throwing that out there. If anybody has any questions or comments or whatever, <laughs> and if not, that's totally fine. It's kind of a personal question. <laughs> um, but yeah, diving into chapter nine. Uh, I loved right off the bat where it's starting to talk about the uh, literary structures, uh, they're on page 322-323, uh, it, it starts kind of, I mean it's already mentioned this in previous chapters, but but here, taking a look at Isaiah from all of these different angles. Um, I, I share this example all the time, like the six blind men of Indostan who are, are all touching up a, a part of this this elephant, right? One of them's holding the the trunk, one of them's holding the tail, one of them's holding the tusks and the ears, etc. They're all seeing parts of it, but they're not all seeing the whole. Versus Isaiah, who is seeing the whole and is now trying to to parcel it out to everyone and their own perspective and paradigm. It's just genius, really. Um, How Avraham talks about here that many try to discredit Isaiah because no mortal could have written this, obviously. Like this is very complex and, and very uh, intricate. And that's just a, a huge testimony of how how the Lord works. He inspires um, the, the written word from prophets as they prophesy. Uh, it just solidifies my testimony of it even more. Um, uh, anyway, just I love the the literary structure um, that that are presented here uh, where we have the Egyptian narrative pattern that is presented as pre-exilic, exilic, exilic, and post-exilic. We have the uh, national, universal, and individual pattern. We have the Ugaritic, the Baal myth, where there's threat, war, victory, and feast. And then we have the three tests of loyalty from the Mesopotamian themes. And, and so on and so forth. There, there's more uh, literary structures there, uh, as on page 324, that, that figure where it talks about some of those different literary structures. We can take a look at Isaiah from lots of different angles and probably more than we uh, even have current knowledge of. Um, I, I just think that that's so amazing uh, that Isaiah is so multifaceted. um let's see trying to pull out different things than than we talked about in group a so that we keep it fresh (laughs) let's see let's talk about um like figure 137 on page 332. I, I really love this um, structure as well. Uh, it talks about it in the, it introduces it in the, the paragraph prior to that, that um, we have different levels that are possible for ascent in this life. Um, I think that that's huge to, to actually realize. Um, in the last group, Janet asked me, what does it mean to for me uh, the term to be awake and i don't know it just kind of put me on the spot and i was trying to think and scramble but um to me being awake in the gospel is is knowing that there's more than just enduring to the end and coasting in a retirement phase of of gospel uh, living that there's there's higher covenants and blessings and um things to to do Uh, as we witness in the scriptures. And um, this paragraph right above that figure there talks about the the importance of a new name along with that that structure. Uh, Even though that there's more levels to ascend, we get a new name so that we can take on a new role and a new function on a higher level. And so, um, looking at Uh, that paragraph. I just kind of want to read it because I think it's uh, super poignant there. It says that by calling each rung on the ladder by a different name, Isaiah teaches that each time we ascend, we assume a new identity. He talks about uh, Abraham and and Israel, etc. But it's a new appointment from God to fulfill a particular role. The names God gives are not arbitrary but reflect a function or an office they express what its recipient does on that level in order to ascend to the next and so i don't know i just i i love that and and i think that there's a lot there that can be had through our our temple ceremony so i want to treat that very delicately obviously but but think about uh, our our names in the temple. Um, we have four different uh, levels, uh, I guess you could say that we're, we're representing there in our endowment. There on page 332, that, that chart, we have the Jacob Israel level, which is represented by, by one of our names, the, the Zion Jerusalem level, the Sun servant level, and then the seraph savior level. And, and what it says, in, in that sentence that these names express what its recipient does on that level in order to ascend to the next. So think about level three, level four. Do those names suggest what we do on that level in order to ascend? Just a, a retrospective or introspective question uh, to, to think about. I think that there's a lot to be learned from from that principle. Um, what else, Mother? What didn't we talk about in Group A that, that we should have uh, addressed?
1: I couldn't find that quote that Janet had quoted. She said a page that I couldn't find. I thought she's three hundred and seventy, and there isn't three hundred and seventy pages.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Did I can, you
1: find I the quote either. that she was talking about?
0: You need to go back and, and rewatch that. I, it seemed like she said uh, two seventy-one, and so I was trying back there, trying to find it. And that it. was
1: back yeah. in the previous chapter. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, I would really like to, to find that quote. I'm going to have to go back and, and rewatch it. And then pull that quote and do like a command find on on the, the PDF version of the book so I can find that quote. Yeah, because
1: I, I have, haven't seen it, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If
1: you find it, share it to the group
0: because.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yes. Just writing that down for my homework. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about sacred architecture. Why is our architecture set up the way that it is? And, and not explain to us? <laughs> like, why not explain why the temples set out the way it is when we first go through uh, our endowment? We might hear tidbits here and there. But uh, if it's so important, why isn't it like laid out for us? And Uh, should we be reading, uh, reading into the, to the architecture and, and things? What, what are your opinions on that?
2: The Lord loves effort. (laughs) And um, we grow as we learn these things. And uh, it's a, it's a process. But yeah, there's meaning in everything that God does and there isn't anything that's in the temple that isn't there that has meaning you know all the different and,
0: and on multiple layers it seems like
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah for sure when I was first studying the old tabernacle uh or like Solomon's temple and and everything uh I don't know, I was just, what year did we first go to Education Week? Was that 2015, 16?
2: Yeah,
0: 15. 15. Um, anyway, I was just like all hyped up for Old Testament. I, I just wanted to really understand Old Testament for some reason. And I was just taking all of these classes on all various parts of it. And one was on um, the, the book of Leviticus, the the law, and um, on the, the temple structure itself. And oh man, just everything that was being taught and, and explained just made so much sense. And I was like, why don't we ever study the Old Testament? It seems like this is like so necessary to understand our current endowment. Like my personal opinion right now is if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're never going to understand the endowment. And, you know, I tell people that and they're like, well, that's pretty strong. <laughs> and I'm like, Try it, but put it to the test. Study the Old Testament, study the old Jewish laws, their customs, study the the sacred architecture. And you'll find that you were just barely skimming the surface of the endowment. Uh, Once you understand that stuff, this is symbolism 101. It's God's language. Um, It's just amazing how how God works in patterns and, and the patterns are literally everywhere. Uh, once we take the the time and effort to to study them
2: well, in last week's lesson, the in the postscript okay. the second paragraph it it's talking about it says that um, the it's very important to know the old testament to study that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: you
1: know. well in group a you were talking about the egyptian thing and it made me think of um and i saw a video but i don't remember who presented it but um there is an article i think written by hugh niblia it's called the egyptian endowment have you heard of that
0: uh-huh. yeah. yeah i it's figured not- you had <laughs> yep yeah uh you know the egyptians have so much of uh our endowment there I mean they have the complete endowment um, but they they have it kind of scattered amongst a a few different uh, scrolls and books and things Um, but yeah just all of their architecture really does mirror um, the plan and and Isaiah's structure and and everything as you see on on page 337 that the Great Pyramid of Giza is Isaiah's ladder in architectural form and why? Why go to such great lengths to build such a massive monument that portrays this ladder if it's not important, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, it took many hours and, and many uh, 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 laborers and, and money, etc. They must have been religious. They must have had the truth or else they wouldn't have have done it kind of thing. It, it just makes so much sense uh likewise with with solomon and his temple i mean how much money uh, went into that spared no expense because it was a pattern of the truth um when when we're replicating the heavens or replicating um the pattern to to god to heaven that it's all about the the best of the best kind of thing
2: where do you think that originated That the Egyptians know so much about that. Is that from Joseph that was sold into Egypt, or I don't know.
0: Where do they they, take the servant of Let me do a quick search, really quick.
2: Um. Or do you think it was clear back when Ham and Egyptians went to Egypt?
0: It possibly.
2: You know, I I don't
0: really know that much about Egypt.
2: Somewhere, but it's interesting how uh, so many people fled to uh, Egypt in the scriptures for refuge, including Jesus as a child. You know, that's where they took him for safety. Mm -hmm. Um, Abraham went there. Um, there's, There's several. In the scriptures that go to egypt for for that there's there's a lot there
0: yeah so the the great pyramid at giza is constructed approximately 2600 bc so we're talking like abraham
2: oh that's interesting well maybe abraham taught him well we know he did a lot of the stuff
0: yeah astronomy Uh
2: so maybe from there but it might even be earlier i don't know or maybe it's over time too anyway it's just interesting
0: yeah where where people get the truth and everything in in our current day we have the truth scattered amongst many religions and sects and groups and uh, traditions right Um, we have (laughs) when i first encountered that i was reading that da vinci code a long time ago uh, by dan brown and going whoa like the mormons and the masons are like identical to each other and it was blowing my mind uh, about some of the stuff that was happening there i was like uh, i don't know it was just kind of interesting and then looking and, and studying about christians and jews and muslims like we all have the truth we all have parts of the truth i mean it's, it's always passed down and, and things and uh, i don't know the, the restoration is just such a huge testimony builder in, in that fact because regardless we always circle back to the truth we we know certain things to to be true regardless um and then there's interpretations of of, of men uh, precepts of men mingled in there that, that throw some things off and and discontinue that authority Yeah, so going along traditions, I mean, we talked about that in group A, pretty good, but um, what kind of traditions do we have in our current church that might impede us from from recognizing Christ when he comes? Um, let's see, what page is that on that I quoted last time? Oh, yeah, on page 342. Um. Uh, kind of down uh, in the middle of the page, it says that in that case, could a similar situation occur as happened in the past? Could God's people today, meaning church members, reject the higher law by turning popular religion into another golden calf? Could one who comes in the name of the Lord again be put to death? And I don't know, it's just such a valid question because we have so many different traditions and precepts that aren't necessarily the law or the gospel that might hinder us from from actually recognizing Christ or uh, accepting his, his fullness when he comes again I think it's something that we definitely have to be aware of as we leave Babylon we also have to leave some of those traditions behind as well
2: um so we talked about this earlier and um things kind of creep in it's kind of man-made and they're not that so that they're you know really awful but they can't could get so that they are and that it seems like the the prophet and the apostles kind of keep it try to they'll tempt that down if it gets too out of hand but we were talking about some of the uh things that in our lifetime that we've seen about that fact just very just recently uh, they've taken all of the things out of the foyer except for pictures of christ um you know we worship christ we don't worship other things they've even taken down the missionary plaques and stuff and that wasn't something that we were told by the church to do have missionary plaques or anything that just Something that just kind of crept into our um, thing. And it's not that it's necessarily bad, but it's just it's putting the attention back on Christ. But the other things that we talked about is like um, missionary farewells. They came out and because those were kind of getting out of hand, and they came out with I think there was a letter on this one quite a while ago but um about not making it all about the the missionary it used to be that like they'd have the parents speak or the the youth of the the siblings the the songs were all from the family and anyway now it's uh the missionary speaks along with someone else and it kind of keeps it that we don't even I don't think we're supposed to call it missionary farewell anymore even mm-hmm. it's just their talk but they used to have like some people would send out invitations just like with uh, a wedding or something you know invitations to the the farewells and they used to a long time ago line up out in the hall kind of as a reception thing and they would give them money for their mission and stuff and you go through this reception line and they stopped having us do that and um you know just different things along that line mm-hmm.
0: and um it kind of draws the focus away from the savior in the sacrament meeting and puts it on the missionary even though we're not worshiping the missionary we are in a sense. Taking Christ's valuable time to renew our covenant, et cetera, and and focusing it in, in the elsewhere, thing you know, it, some of those kind of things can distract us. And over time, lots of traditions of men put together can can really uh, cloud our our vision of the Savior, kind of thing.
2: And it, sometimes it makes it harder on the missionary if we like put him up on. Put them upon a pedestal or something, and then if they get out on their mission and they have to come home, you know, it's more uh, devastating to have to face all that, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they're just youth; like things happen. And anyway, it's just it just they have the reasons for doing it, but mm-hmm. anyway, sometimes we just we're well-meaning but just kind of get too carried away into things.
0: Yeah. Um, the next part that I, I really liked was on page 329, where it talks about the, the four physical phases of our development, uh, spiritual and physical, uh, kind of mirroring each other. Where we have our childhood, then we have our adolescence, then we have adulthood and, and mature age, and how those mirror the uh, the levels on the ladder. Um, I've talked about that kind of recently. That that one talk from General Conference where he was interviewing Pablo, and um, where uh, so how did you turn out to be so good kind of thing and he said it was all because my dad because my dad would prepare me at each stage of my life going um pablo i know where you've been and and i've i've been there and you're going to to face this and when you do come talk to me we'll work through it and and then i'll help you on the next stage and the next stage etc that there's there's wisdom and maturity as we as we grow physically but spiritually as well. So we have this, this childhood phase and uh, they on page 330. It talks about that. Um, where Well, I guess it's on 329. It talks about the childhood. So we have childish interests and youthful fantasies that occupy our thoughts and determine our behavior. And then on the Zion Jerusalem level, that resembles the adolescence where we start waking up and that's where Janet asked me the question, what does awake mean to you kind of thing? Uh, but that's a great place to, to put it in there. But we see the Zion Jerusalem level is where we make temple covenants. We, we start elevating from just our baptismal covenant, but then it, it's up to us if we actually start waking up or not. That it's the, full, the soul's first awakening to an awareness of its power to act independent of others to take responsibility for our own actions and decisions. Learning may be largely by trial and error as we begin to experiment with good and evil. And um, anyway, I I find that just all very interesting. It's so telling of where we are as a church in in 2020 and 2021, that this Zion Jerusalem level is starting to really awaken and, and take on responsibility for ourselves we're, we're reaching that adolescent stage and then the son servant stage mirrors those um, on the on uh, like an adult level so we take independence to the next level by getting married raising children um, more commitments they minister unselfishly to, to one another and um, and so forth and then the seraphs represent those of advanced age who are wise and and have went through a lot of this uh, these experiences their experience serves the younger generation that appeals to them for help their wisdom and counsel lend balance and stability to the extended family the inheritance they leave behind forms an assurance of future security and i find that very interesting you know like when we leave our inheritances uh, behind in, in this world you know it is often just kind of spoiled sometimes um yeah, <laughs> i don't know maybe other people experience it differently but but usually inheritances <clears throat> are, are just kind of squandered or, or whatever but in a spiritual sense um, those seraph and saviors they, they leave an inheritance behind. Look at our, our pioneers, the, the, the legacies that, that we gain from, from reading their journals and their experiences and, and how they uh, paved the, the way before us so that we could, could then ascend. Um, anyway, I found that all very interesting and enlightening uh, that these physical parallels are, are mirroring our spiritual ascent up, up the ladder. let's see what else stood out to you all in in this chapter that you'd like to talk about my voice is starting to to crack and leave me i've been talking too much today
1: well
2: i found that little section about the Hopi Indians. Interesting. It's on 331 down there at the bottom. Last paragraph. And um, I had listened to a guy that had uh, interviewed the Hopi Indians. I think that just recently, and I think that's kind of why it was fascinating but he he interviewed a lot of different uh tribes and different things and it it stems back that they have it was back when christ visited um the americas after the crucifixion and he was uh resurrected there and these these things have been passed down to their family and, um, and these teachings, and I think, man, that, that's just amazing how close they come on these things. I mean, they've got this down better than, you know, even we do in other church sometimes. Mm-hmm. But. Um,
0: yeah, because what they, is it there on, on that page that. Um, that if we advance as far as we possibly can in this life, then we won't have to wade through three more worlds after this one to get where we are going. I mean, that's that's huge, really. I mean, uh, like the the scripture in B and C says that, you know, the more that we attain to in this life, uh, it'll rise with us in the resurrection. Like, we've we've got... Why not do it now?
2: It says to me that... um jesus must have taught them about these levels you know of the ladder he taught them about them and and just from i think they were on a a high level at the time he was teaching them uh i never thought that before but i because i didn't know about these levels and everything but looking back on that the reading in uh, third Nephi, uh, what some of the things they said, they, they learned things that couldn't even be written and, and things that the, the children were taught and they, they had to be on a, a high level for him to be teached in that, yeah. seems, it seems like anyway.
0: And because they were on a high level, we can look at the pattern of things and see back what their descent was before they, uh, they rose from that. Like, look what happened uh, in the first part of third Nephi. I mean, those are some of the worst chapters there. I mean, their descent mm-hmm. into wickedness was crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. Not themselves, I mean, but as, as a whole. And, and then all of those things got destroyed. Look at all of the, the earthquakes and fires and, and tempests and stuff. It's the same things that we're going to have to go through. But if we're righteous, if we know, if we're awake, for lack of a better word, then we're going to be able to rise above those things and actually greet the Savior when he comes. Uh, be ministering angels for him uh, up and down the, the ladder.
2: Look how many years that they were Righteous after that you know it Mm -hmm. long how many years was that anyway it was a long time Mm -hmm. they were righteous
0: yeah it follows the 200 400 pattern Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which is everywhere Uh, (laughs) if you take a look at all of the ages of the earth 200 years righteousness year 201 it, it starts dwindling and by year 400 it's done it, it it repeats itself in every civilization all throughout history the 200 400 year pattern and and where's our 200 400 years year 400 was 2020
2: and we had studied that before 2020 uh, a little just prior to that and so we knew something was coming we had no idea what it was but we knew there was something going to be big in 2020. Anyway, and it was.
1: So,
0: um, throughout the last chapter and this chapter, it talks about uh, just one quick principle of that all sicknesses, infirmities, um, maladies, anything, all of those are covenant curses, whether our own or generational that that are, are heaped upon our backs kind of thing. So what do you make of that? How do we wrestle with um, that? I mean, because if you say that to just anyone, they're going to be like, no, you know, like my cancer isn't because i sinned, but um, how do we, how do we talk about that concept more openly, uh, even if it is just in this group kind of thing? Like, how do we talk about the fact that all infirmities, maladies, et cetera, are covenantal curses, whether our own or generational? I, I find that that's an interesting concept to wrap my mind around and, and really focus in on. or do you disagree with it because that's totally an option as well
1: well i've heard the term disease as dis-ease so we're at dis-ease with ourselves and god and that's where all of our disease comes from Mm -hmm. so yeah. so i i don't know i mean i think of all of our some of our health issues a lot they say I don't remember what percentage, but a lot of our health issues come from our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's choices that we make, you know, whether we drink, smoke, overeat, over exercise, you know, some people over exercise, till so they're just super, super thin. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, we, it's just what we choose our choices of how our lifestyle is. Mm -hmm. You know, what we choose to eat or not eat or exercise or not exercise or smoke or drink or take drugs or, you know, it affects our health. And some of it's generational because I think it is passed down heredity somewhat. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: I don't, I don't, some of it, I don't know if it's curses. There's a lot of discussion about that. I Mm -hmm. think sometimes people, and I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. There's some of like the obvious ones, like, you know, if you do drink or smoke or whatever, uh, while pregnant, like, that's going to get passed on. There's there are certain things that the child did not sin. But right. yet those things get passed on. And they have mm-hmm. to, to deal with those throughout their lives. You know, there's obvious examples like that. But then there's some that you know, like, yeah, you're gonna tell me that this other stuff is, is my doing or my ancestors doing it. it's kind of a tricky scenario there. But but yeah it's very interesting kind of taking that principle and just wrestling with it and, and seeing if it, it it's true if it holds out kind of thing. oh
2: so i i asked heavenly father on when i was wondering about and i again i was surprised by the answer and but i think if you take these things to heavenly father He'll it'll tell you through the spirit and and what to do about it
0: Mm -hmm. so like elaborate more on it like you don't have to go (laughs) into the details but like what are you saying so you prayed about a specific illness or malady or whatever right right and you asked where is this coming from why am I having to deal with this
2: Mm mm-hmm
0: And then the Lord answered you Uh and and said, this is exactly where it came from. And when that's repented of, whether by your own mistake or by a generational mistake, when that's repented of, it it can be And
2: that's how I worded it. I asked if it was generational or if it was my own. And... (laughs) <laughs> and i found out it was it was me but, which i was really surprised but in in looking back and 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 stuff i i see where it was me
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so it, it, it was a surprising thing
0: <laughs> getting in tune with the spirit and, and hearing him right uh, taking an honest question to the lord like what parent wouldn't answer that kind of a prayer you know rather than just saying heavenly father why am i dealing with this please take it away from me kind of a thing he knows that it's from a certain thing and so he's going to say um, ask me the right question and, and I'll, I'll tell you the answer so when you finally ask like I'm, I'm kind of in the dark. What is it from? What's the source? And, and how can I fix it? Then he's more than willing to, to answer that prayer and that petition. And and haven't you already seen, I mean, not a cure from it, but like, but results of it. Like, oh, the, in fact, is real. Like this was the spirit teaching me truth. Mm-hmm. Right?
2: And it, it actually was a covenant thing. It wasn't a broken covenant. It was like two lacks in a covenant. Um, and it was earlier um, a few years back and stuff. Anyway, I got that. I, I'm still working on it actually to get that, so that Emily Father can trust me, that I, that
0: it, you, you want to keep that covenant kind of thing, but I think that that's how all of our covenants are, I mean, we give the covenant of baptism to, to eight-year-olds, I mean, that, that's a pretty strong covenant, and how many times does that get broken over a lifetime, but that's why we have the sacrament, that's why we have these, these opportunities to renew covenants, to, to repent daily, hourly, if, if need be, like, that's that's what this whole thing is about, until we get to the point when we don't even desire to sin anymore, that that we've learned mm-hmm. that law and that covenant so well, that, that it's just part of our nature, uh, you know, regardless of, of what covenant everyone's dealing with at any given time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that it's just crucial that that the Lord's willing to tell us what lack I yet and how to fix it.
2: And it's so odd because like, it wasn't anything uh, serious enough to, you know, you have to go clear it up with the Bishop or anything like that. But it was taking something too lightly or I don't know how to explain it without (laughs) saying it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's just something I need to, to, to fix, and, um, but I'm grateful that this, here again, this book led me to ask that question of my Heavenly Father, because I didn't even know I needed to ask that question.
0: Mm -hmm. I Um, I think that it's a common theme amongst most uh, saints that are trying to to wake up and, uh, and smell the roses kind of thing that as we are seeking the, these higher blessings of the Lord, we're seeking to, to be in tune with, with the Lord that people always ask, well, if I could just get translated, then I wouldn't have to deal with some of this stuff that, that I'm dealing with. You know, like um, there's, there's just things that are impeding me from even getting to that level. So if I can just get translated, but, but if you'll really take an honest survey of your life and, and ask the Holy Father, he'll tell you, like, well, you can't ascend to that level because you're not even keeping this level. Like, you've got to learn how to, to take care of sins and iniquities, your own sins and generational uh, iniquities that get passed down. Uh, it's such a huge paradigm shift for, that I've, I've learned throughout this chapter. And, and putting it into practice is how I have... Such a strong testimony of it. It's like, oh, this is, this is how it is. But the Lord loves to do His own teaching, and so you know it's often not talked about in in a general church setting. Uh, but but it, it's so true. The pattern. Um. There's another part that just came to mind, but then I lost it already. <laughs> But um, one major important part of this whole thing, of the whole ministering model, the ascent to heaven, the ladder, is love, unconditional love. One, when we have that love for others, the love for God, and then by uh, by proxy, that 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 love extends to to those around us, then we can start ascending and gearing up our or greasing up our our wheels kind of a thing and and get moving but i think that that's just a huge plague of of our time is being so myopic and and so self-serving like woe is me but when we start branching out and unconditionally loving others and helping them with their journeys and their mistakes and iniquities and and plagues etc that that's when we start actually following the model and can start realizing higher knowledge and wisdom and powers from heaven, being able to actually call down the powers of heaven on behalf of others. Um, Anyway, it's just very eye-opening. I love this chapter, taking all of those things that we've learned and and just kind of cramming them all together and saying, look at this. This is it. This is the, the crux of it.
2: And what I've learned from this book is that tribulations are truly a blessing, yeah. not just for our ascent, but for like the tribulations that are going to be that we hear about these years of tribulation that are coming soon. That's actually going to be a really big blessing for for a lot of people, because it's through that. Because otherwise, a lot of the Jacob Israel lesson wouldn't make it past the burning. But there's going to be a huge ascent for a lot of Jacob Israel ladder because of how they help during these tribulations and that's what's going to ascend them and save them from this burning and what a blessing it's not going to be easy it's not going to be an easy thing at all but it's it's a blessing yeah
0: sure so just kind of Wrapping up and closing, kind of moving forward. So um, we have a semi-revamped schedule. Let me share that on the screen. And, and I emailed this out to everyone. So if you didn't get it, email me and I can, can forward it to you. Um, but this is uh, our, our new schedule for, for the upcoming weeks. As we get done with Isaiah Decoded this week and move into the actual book of Isaiah, um, this is how we're going to kind of tackle it. We're going to tackle the, the bifid structure that it talked about in chapters one and two here in Isaiah Decoded, that Avraham Gileadi and uh, Walter Brownlee, I believe his name is, um, kind of discovered or at least um, uh, really studied heavily. So we're, it's the, the great seven-part chiasm of Isaiah, and so some of the chapters look like they're a little bit out of order, but that's on purpose. This is through that Bifid structure. And so um, next week we're going to be tackling chapters one through three, and uh, and then so on and so forth down that, that blue column there. And then if you that's if you like to just knock it all out in one setting, you can read those chapters like that. But if you like to, to break it down into smaller daily chunks, I've got those subsequent. Uh, columns there on the chart. So like the our, these Sunday groups, you would start your reading on the next Monday and read uh, chapter one, verses one through ten. Uh, so for that day, you just have to focus on ten verses and really pour through those and, and study those out. And then on Tuesday, you go to the next few verses, etc. Um, it's just going to be a handy chart to, to kind of reference where we're headed and uh, the reading assignments for each week. Um, so anyway for next week chapters one through three but here's the one caveat (laughs) is that me and my mom are going to be in a meeting next week so we won't be having this class time next week if you want to you can join in with the Wednesday group on on 9 p.m or you can uh, just skip that week and and watch the video for for Wednesday's class Um, but yeah we don't anticipate that that'll happen very often but uh, yeah, with our colleagues, we have a, a stake meeting that's, that's going to pull us away next Sunday, um, yeah, which will affect these two groups. But other than that, this is the schedule. Um, and then let me copy the link to the Isaiah Explorer. This is going to be crucial um, for those that, that want to really dive in and, and study Isaiah. So I'm copying this in the chat, and it's also in that email that I, I sent out earlier. Um, so the Isaiah Explorer is such a handy tool to actually studying the words of Isaiah. So um, it, it's a little daunting. It's only viewable on a desktop. It's not on mobile or, or tablet. Um, but on a desktop, you can, can look at this, um, at the, the words and commentary, etc. of Isaiah uh, all in one place. So in this left-hand-most column, uh, you can can choose to view it in lots of different ways, but we're going to be studying Isaiah's seven-part structure. And so it breaks it down into the different uh, weeks that we're studying. Ruin and rebirth, rebellion and compliance, etc. And then as you're reading through the chapter, um, as you highlight over the individual verses, um, you'll see that uh, it highlights it in uh, these two, two columns right here. And over here in the rightmost column, uh, you can compare the translation side by side. So you have the King James Version versus the NRSV, and you can see on the screen how it's changing there, uh, just underneath that. And the Hebraeus Press is Avraham Giliadi's translation of it that he's done. But um, it's a very handy way to to put all of those side by side and and see why certain translators um, uh, translated it the way that they did. Um, If you want to, you can actually view the Hebrew version of it, if you know that. Um, And you can also uh, check out all of these different tags, um, like the the chiasms. Uh, You can um, view those chiasms for what they are. The parallelisms, etc. Um, but one of the handy things is that his commentary uh, can be clicked on here, and and you can read verse by verse what his commentary is um, uh, to kind of give some of the background to some of these verses, who Hezekiah is or, or what the Davidic covenant really means uh, in context of that verse, etc. Uh, very handy. Um, Anyway, I, I highly encourage using that tool or at least trying it out and seeing if it works for you. If not, we will be using it in class as we kind of explain some uh, different things and, and talk about them. But um, yeah, very handy commentary. If you want to, you can just buy the book if that's easier for you, is analytic commentary of the uh, the Book of Isaiah. But that's a, a free online website that, that you're that will be using kind of moving forward. Um, any questions or, or comments on how this is set up for the next few weeks, uh, what that looks like? Hopefully, we've really spread it out more even so that it's not quite as daunting as, as our homework has been thus far. We've had to read a lot <laughs> of material to, to keep up this week. but. Um, But moving forward, it should kind of take that pace down a little bit to kind of alleviate some of that during the summertime. Anyway, any final comments, thoughts, things you want to share? If not, we will see everyone next week, not on Sunday, but on either the Wednesday or or you're more than welcome to just watch it afterward. All right. Have a great week, everyone. (laughs) Bye.